This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. You know what I want. <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Will Sampson Folk and today a very special guest had him on in September to preview the Eastern Conference and now here once again to revisit those predictions, talk about what's going on there right now. Michael Pina of SB Nation writing about everywhere in the NBA all season, lots of different stuff, love reading this stuff. Michael, how are you doing today, man? Wonderful, Sam. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Love talking basketball with you, and I'll just I'll swing us right into it, and we'll start off with the Bucks, 42 and seven, first in the East, second in offensive rating, first in defensive rating. Just to get your Cliff Notes, your TLDR, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Well, what they're doing wrong, I mean, nothing. Uh, they've been an excellent basketball team all season long, on a historic pace. On both ends of the floor, as you said, uh, they have arguably the best player in the league. A, I would say, you know, LeBron might be a dark horse candidate for MVP, but if Giannis doesn't win, I would be pretty surprised at this point. He's been, he's been excellent, uh, uh, even better in a lot of areas than he was last season when he won the award. And I mean, I thought that they would take a step back because of the loss of Malcolm Brogdon in free agency. And he was really important to a lot of how they played last year. And especially in the playoffs, he was pretty critical. So I thought that they would actually, you know, not be a bad team by any stretch or even a, a, a like an average one. I thought that they would still be really good, but just not a juggernaut, as we've seen. And one of the more interesting things about the Bucks this season has actually been their depth and their bench. And I wrote about that a couple of weeks back. I have with... questions, believe it or not, about <laughs> that piece. Yeah, so uh, why don't you just fire away then? Okay, so you wrote about their bench, split action, constant motion on offense, energetic defense, DJ Wilson, Dragon Bender, ready to step in. But... I want to talk about their defense a little bit and what you've noticed with the heart of it, Robin Lopez. What's made him so good operating as the fulcrum of their defensive situation there on the bench? 
Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, it, what they do is they have a system in place, which is, uh, you know, they protect the pain as, as well as any team in recent memory has. And I mean, I don't want to say they let teams shoot three pointers because that's not what you want in 2020, but that's kind of what they do. They, 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 they have a really good ability to identify what shooters they want to shoot threes which is great, but you know, I mean, to answer your question, like Robin Lopez, he'll just drop and he'll challenge you to come at him in the rim, come at him in the paint. And he's a super physical big. He's there to foul you. He's there to deter your shot. He's there to force floaters. And uh, yeah, so him and his twin have just been. I mean, Brooke has obviously been more impactful on the defensive end just because I think he's a superior player, but. Uh, yeah, those two have been monsters in the middle. Giannis has been a monster in the middle. And they haven't even had to go small that much. But if they do, like Giannis is perfectly capable of protecting the rim. So, I mean, their scheme and how they funnel people into the paint and how they take away the shots that uh, uh, they, they don't want you to take uh, has been sublime this year. And it's been even better than it was last season, which is another thing I didn't think was possible. Um, where I think like last year, I feel like they kind of stuck up on some people. And so I, 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 I think I might've said that in our, our preview pod. Um, that has obviously not been the case. They've steamrolled the entire NBA and uh, it would be a shock in my opinion, if they did not go to the NBA finals. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to bring up immediately then, which maybe isn't related directly to your piece, but with your piece being about the bucks, let's dive in. The depth, which is usually, and Raptors fans, Raptors listeners will identify with this, depth isn't always the most important thing in the playoffs. Last year for the Bucks, it wasn't either as the Raptors really bolted everything down, kept it short, and beat the Bucks that way. And a lot of people had complaints about Budenholzer maybe playing Giannis too low of minutes, maybe being a bit too laissez-faire with his minutes to bench guys. What do you see this year? And obviously you and I, we both really like Malcolm Brogdon. I thought he was going to be a more important missing piece for them this year, the same as you. He was so important last year in the playoffs. On the bench, is there a nesting doll that you see, a Dante DiVincenzo, that might be able to step into a role like that going forward if they do shorten the rotation? Or do you think it's that Budenholzer offense that they just they keep running it really deep and they just try and get there on their strength the same way they do in the regular season? I don't think that there's any one replacement for Malcolm Brogdon just because, I mean, he was a, he's I mean, great. He was, yeah. Yeah. He was a borderline all-star this season. We saw him kind of spread his wings as a primary ball handler and show what he can do. And he's just a really good player. Um, not to take anything away from George Hill or Dante DiVincenzo um, or any of the other guys who kind of come off the bench and give energy and can space the floor. But Brogdon by himself is really difficult to replace, and I give a lot of credit to Bud, and I think he should be – I mean, I think him and Nick Nurse are, are one and two for coach of the year. Maybe I'll throw Frank Vogel in there as well, um, just because it's kind of like Spurs North right now, where they just kind of plug and play. They have their system. They have their stars. They have their core, and then they just let everybody else – they, they know and they can identify what pieces make sense for them. Obviously, guys who 
can shoot really well. Guys who are veterans, who are intelligent, who move really well without the ball and are capable in space. And uh, guys who know how to defend as in a team concept. Um, so they've, you know, they've acquired all those types of pieces, guys who put the team above themselves, which is another quality that they have here. I mean, there's really not a lot of selfishness in that locker room. Um, and so, yeah, they're, uh, they're super deep. Um, they're super flexible in a lot of different ways that they can play. Um, and yeah, they're a juggernaut. They're just, they're a fantastic team. Super fun to watch as well. And I'll transition this to a team that probably has its eyes on the Bucks and the type of way that the Bucks play their defense, that drop defense, will give them fits. The second place team in the Eastern Conference, the team that is close, most closely related to this podcast, the Raptors, and that drop defense that the Bucks play, if they do go in the playoffs, will be, will be giving them fits, and I think that's how they relate. But the Raptors on their own, Zach Lowe said it earlier today. They've been the best story in the NBA to him. Is that is that what you see as well? They've been a terrific story. I mean, I don't want to keep referencing things I've written, but they, they just kind of like pop into my head when I'm trying to talk about teams. So I'll try my best not to do it too much. But No, you got to get the plug in there, man. That's the best <laughs> way to do it. Yeah, but before the season, like, I wrote a piece that I knew was a little foolhardy about, uh, like, would they, should they trade Pascal Siakam? And, like, I didn't, it wasn't, like, uh, meant to be disrespectful to Pascal, although I did not expect him to take this type of leap, and I never would have written the piece or thought of the premise if not. But, I mean, heading into the season, like, you know, Kyle Lowry was a trade ship and Serge Ibaka was a trade ship and, you know, Marc Gasol and uh, no one really expected, or at least I did not expect Pascal to make this type of leap. I did not expect uh, Fred Van Vliet to be like a borderline all-star. I did not expect the Lowry Van Vliet lineups to have as much success as they've had uh, in the regular season and, and play as many minutes as they they have. And I did not expect like, uh, you know, I thought Rodney Hollis Jefferson was like borderline washed up last year watching. Him yeah, point of He's disagreement been... between yeah, you and I. You were spot on. He's been pretty good when he plays. Uh, Chris Boucher has been terrific. I mean, uh, Terrence Davis, like I could go on and on. Like the, I think the player development is second to none in Toronto. I just called. Uh, the Bucks, Spurs North. I mean, there's a lot of parallels with just how Toronto has operated as well. Uh, just like finding diamonds in the rough, plugging them in, never skipping a beat. Uh, this team is awesome. And I also just want to quickly shout out, I'm not really sure where the video originated, but I, I retweeted it the other day of OG Ananobi and Serge Ibaka arguing about fashion. And I just have to say, it's like one of the greatest things the internet has ever bestowed upon us. So I'm a huge fan of everything that's happening right now in Toronto. I hope they make no trades at the deadline because I love everything about their current chemistry. I don't want anything to be disrupted and God bless them. Yeah. What about scarves though? What about what scarves? About <laughs> yeah, that was I think it was Faisal Kamisa and myself, both of us. I I was on YouTube, I guess, when the premiere of that came out. So I immediately started downloading the video and cutting clips and stuff. And I, I put a tweet out about 
where they were talking about it was OG, and it actually kind of blew up as far as a tweet, but talking about sundresses. Serge asked OG what a girl should wear, and he said, sundress, wear a sundress. He's like, you want them to wear a sundress? He's like, yeah, I don't care the climate, wear a sundress. And then they both look at the camera, and they make that. It was, yeah, it's a really great clip. That whole thing, golden. But to, to talk about the points you made, there are so many things to like Boucher. I, was, I wasn't very high on Boucher going into this year. I thought that he would have a really tough time banging around, but he's more tenacious than... Maybe maybe I didn't watch enough of him in the G League, but he's been tenacious. He's really been able to utilize his length more than I thought he'd be able to. His skills are a little bit farther along. His footwork in the pick and roll better. Terrence Davis, I don't think there's an explanation for that one, really. Just a guy who everyone passed over and is damn near in the 50-40-90 club. Pretty insane. I don't know how the Raptors did that or how he's doing it, quite frankly. And just talking about... Spurs North for either the Bucks or the Raptors and where the Bucks it seems like their system is more important and the Raptors are it seems like lightning in a bottle you know what I mean the types of ways that the Raptors win whether it's having Gasol operate as the fulcrum of split action with Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry looking to push in transition Pascal Siakam finding the right mix of getting vertical up the floor or helping out on the defensive glass Pascal's ability to mask a lot of the bad rotations the Raptors make sometimes with his ability to get everywhere defensively and Serge Ibaka being such an incredible offensive player at times really beating up on opposing bench bigs and Fred Van Vliet like you said I didn't see this for him either he's been much better as a passer his finishing at the rim is still pretty suspect but he's one of the better shooters in the league I think especially when he gets time to set his feet and man the Raptors I... Before, I guess the only thing, everyone who hears this podcast has heard lots about the Raptors. So let's let's talk about what you think Philly, I think we had it as Philly and Milwaukee as the two contenders. That was Oof. what we had at the start, at the start of the year when we previewed it. And I, I feel good about that because Joel Embiid eats the sun. He's a big deal. Ben Simmons also fantastic. You and I both love Al Horford. And to think that Philly has fallen so far of the Raptors, Indiana with ideally a healthy Oladipo, Boston, Heat. Does any one of those teams jump into the contender thing for you? Uh, I honestly like, I mean, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. And I know I just said that I don't want the Raptors to make any trades, but they're positioned to buy right now. Um, They should consider themselves true contenders. Um, I like Toronto. I like, I do like Boston a lot and when healthy, the Celtics have been, uh, really, really tough to beat. And they're great. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't want to overreact, but there are times when Jason Tatum looks like he could be the best player in a playoff series against any team except Milwaukee or Philly. But I kind of think that there's a lot of, advantages Boston has uh, against the Sixers, presuming that, you know, Joel Embiid is not physically fit to dominate uh, in multiple playoff series, which, you know, it's reasonable to speculate against that. Um, So I like Boston. I like Toronto. Uh, I, I like Mil, uh, sorry. I like Miami. Um, I don't know. Like, 
Bam Adebayo is such an interesting player and one of my favorite players in the league. It's going to just be really interesting to see how his game translates in a playoff setting where he's not, I mean, he's their second best player behind Jimmy Butler. And, but he's not like a traditional scorer. Uh, he, he, he can create his own shot, but not consistently like you would expect someone um, who has kind of his cachet and who just made an all-star team to be able to do so. He's going to be interesting to see, and the way they play, um, you know, they they love to shoot threes, obviously, and they have a lot of different ways to get looks off. But I'm a little skeptical about what that will look like when two feet shrinks to two inches in the postseason. Uh, so I'm a uh, I'm not going to put them in a contender status yet. I think they need a little bit more. Uh, like ISO talent, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, so, and then I guess like the Pacers, I mean, I, I'd love the Pacers, no disrespect to them. Uh, they, I just don't think they have enough talent. I would like to see them try to get something eventually for Miles Turner, who, I mean, I'm all in on Sabonis as their five going forward. And, you know, that duo has not like been terrible together but in the playoffs again it's just different from the regular season so like a Sabonis Brogdon uh, Oladipo trio going forward is really interesting and I just don't see it in the cards this year in part because I don't think Oladipo will be physically fit enough to be what he was in the past I think it's going to take him a little bit of time and it's going to take a little bit of time for all those guys to just bond together uh, and figure it out um, but I, I guess I, I like the Pacers. I think all these teams are going to be competitive uh, in a playoff series. But like, just the Sixers, it's just they're really gross. <laughs> I'm just I I understand, and I, I was very high on them coming into the season. I'm pretty sure I picked them to go to the finals. Uh, out of the East and just the Horford Simmons and bead trio has been disgusting. Like there's just, you even we're recording this on uh what's today? Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Last night they were blown out by the Miami heat. And there's just so many possessions when those three are on the floor where the spacing is just like, what year is it? And I just, I was skeptical once, I mean, we were like 15 games into the season and I thought that they were in trouble. They really don't have a pick and roll ball handler, um, uh, a really effective one. Uh, and I think that that's what they'll ultimately need in a playoff series. Uh, Tobias Harris is not that person. I don't think Josh Richardson is that person. Uh, they have Trey Burke who uh, was getting minutes last night uh, and I don't think he's that person. So it's going to be really interesting to see if before the trade deadline, they strike a move for a playmaker and another ball handler. Cause it's just Simmons has been otherworldly at times, but at the end of the day, you need your best players to mesh and their best players do not mesh. Yeah. I'll, I'll rewind us a little bit because bam, I think is super interesting. I know you wrote a big piece about him, And from that piece you wrote, not only does Adebayo stand out as one of a select few who can actually switch one through five without embarrassing himself, but his nimble yet violent offensive skill set blurs the lines of what our center can be. He personifies positionless basketball with moves that don't need context to make your jaw drop. First of all, 
great, great writing. The uh, the violent offensive <laughs> skill set, very good. But and then to to reference the game they just played, where I thought Bam was off the start treated the same way that they tried to treat Pascal last year. The 76ers with Embiid really making Pascal feel awkward. But Bam ate up that space. I thought he did a really good job last night. What does that mean for teams that are game planning for Bam at a bio? After watching him play, what would you do if you were a coach and you said, okay, we need to stop Bam at a bio? What, what are you trying to make him do? I'm trying to make him a scorer, for starters. I mean, and... and... Like one of the things that we talked about when I sat down with him at length was how confident he was from like 10 to 12 feet and how much he worked on that shot in the off season. So as you said, like Embiid is just, you know, he'll be at the free throw line, he'll be in the paint and he's just daring it at a bio to shoot. And last night, Bam was not afraid to shoot. And so when those shots start, start falling, and you prioritize, you know, taking away the cutters and the back cuts and all the different actions they love to run when Bam is basically their de facto point guard. If he's making the shots, like you're in, you're just in trouble. Like I don't really know what you do then uh, because he's just he's so active too, and he creates second chance opportunities, and his energy level never goes down. And I don't, I mean, like what you see with him, what what I love about him is that what you see today or what you saw last night, like in three weeks, he's going to add something to his game. He is just an incredibly hard worker. Uh, His trajectory is just, it's really difficult to say what type of player he will be in a month or two or by the time the playoffs start. So yeah, uh, he's very problematic for opposing teams on both ends of the floor, and the Philadelphia 76ers found out why last night. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. I want to. The next thing I want to ask you about, we'll leave the heat behind. So, Boston and Philadelphia, I think, are juxtaposed really interestingly. And that's A, uh, you brought up Jason Tatum, how he might be the best player in a playoff series that doesn't involve Milwaukee or Philadelphia. As someone who loves Pascal Siakam, I actually do agree with that. Jason Tatum has gone from somebody who was touted as he'll be top five in MVP voting in three years as like two years ago everyone's like holy moly this kid to now I think honestly a little bit underrated he's been so fantastic defensively this year he can get in his bag to do almost anything there I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Brandon Ingram level jump in scoring next year he can score at all levels on on defense but the Celtics They've been caught up in rumors for Clint Capella, which I think would probably be a bad idea for them. But they, and this is something I believe as Zackle and Brian Windorse talked about, having replacement level big men and letting their wings really take them to the promised land in the regular season has been a good idea. But juxtaposed with that is Philadelphia, who is replacement level wings and letting their fantastic big men 
really have a tough time in the regular season, but might be better in the postseason. What do you make of those two teams, just how they're built and how that makes them either dangerous in the regular season or dangerous in the postseason? Am I missing something there, or does that seem correct? No, I mean, just starting with the Celtics, like I think they they drafted Jalen Brown, they drafted Jason Tatum because they loved their ability to be two-way impact players. And both are, you know, gradually improving at a rate that I don't know if the Celtics expected this, but like, and I would think based on the contract they gave Jalen that they did expect him to make a, take a bump forward in production. Like if you have two young wings who defend at an all defensive team level, who can average 20 points a game for a season, and then you throw in, you know, Kemba Walker, who is starting in the all-star game and having a sensational offensive season and continuing to improve as a pull-up three-point shooter. And you have Gordon Hayward, who before he broke his hand was playing at a, 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 an MVP, sorry, not an MVP level, I'm <laughs> playing, playing at an all-star level and looking kind of like the guy they, they thought they were getting when they signed him from the Utah Jazz. You have those four pieces and then... Obviously, Marcus Smart off the bench or even in a closing five. Uh, it's like I, I think that that just makes sense with where the game is and where the game is going. You want versatility. You want shooting. You want guys who can put it on the deck, make plays for teammates. I mean, last night, like in a win against the Atlanta Hawks, Jason Tatum was defending Trey Young in crunch time. Like there's just not that is very special and very useful. And any team would love to have that. And when I look at the Sixers, like there's nothing wrong with, you know, building your team around the most dominant big man since Shaquille O'Neal, which is what Joel Embiid is, but they haven't really built around him. Like they've just added talented pieces and they've hoped that the chips would fall where they may. Like Ben Simmons is a bad fit. He just is. Al Horford is a terrible fit. Uh, you know, Josh Richardson is fine and they, they have an analytics department that, tries to uh, utilize the best lineups uh, throughout the game. But in the playoffs, like you play your starters more and you need your starters to mesh better. And so defensively, they're, they're, they're fine. Like they're, I thought they would be just otherworldly on that end. And they've been, they've been fine when yeah, all those guys fifth. are on the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, fifth is not going to cut it when your offense is like rolling 20th. around in mud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think it's, 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 they just didn't do a good job building the team. And I don't know if they had the option of, of keeping Jimmy over Tobias, if that was ever on the table for them, maybe it wasn't. And they had to kind of scramble a little bit. Um, but yeah, they're missing that pick and roll ball handler and uh, you know, someone who could, it's so funny because like, Ben Simmons as a role man is just like, he's tremendous. He could be tremendous. Uh, and we've seen glimpses of that, but uh, like he can't really be their Draymond because Embiid is Embiid. Like the war, if the Warriors had Joel Embiid, they would have built their team a little bit differently. I would imagine like they wouldn't have Draymond Green. So uh, like it, it's, it's just really difficult. They don't have enough shooting. Uh, and that's like another humongously worrisome flaw in their construction. 
so even though Embiid is the best player, uh, might be the best player in moments in the entire conference, the way they've just tried to uh, accentuate his strengths uh, on the offensive and defensive end has not really been the best, not the, the, the best decisions that they could have otherwise made. Yeah, well, you wrote about that in, in late November, I believe. You're talking about how the, the 76ers, they don't tailor their offense to Embiid, even though he's he's generational. You know, he's a, a very big-time talent, but a lot of times he has to acquiesce to, let's say, if, if they're looking for a post-up for Tobias Harris, I think you noted that sometimes Embiid will throw the post-entry pass, which is a crazy inversion of basketball and maybe not the best thing to do, but... It happens with them, but I just to take it back to Boston for a bit before we get into the back end of the Eastern Conference, talking about the Bucks off the start of this podcast and referencing the the drop defense that I think will a give Philadelphia fits. It depends on how Al Horford and Embiid make the middle of the floor to their use, but I think it'll give both the Raptors and the 76ers trouble if they do play Milwaukee, that drop defense. Is Boston the best equipped with Kemba, Gordon Hayward? And Gordon, when he gets going downhill, they run that stagger screen set up top. You probably know it with uh, that double screen for Gordon Hayward, and he mm-hmm. walks into between 16 to 10 feet, and it's a really great play for them. He's really dangerous in that area. But Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward... Kemba Walker, and of course, Jason Tatum. Is Boston best suited to try and punch up at the Fantastic Bucks? Yeah, I mean, I said earlier that I would be shocked if the Bucks didn't reach the finals, and I still think I would be, just based on what I've seen from them all year. But the Celtics are, like, really good, and I think they're they're really uniquely constructed to give the Bucks fits and they don't really have I mean they have a lot of like like strong wings who are like 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", however tall you want to say Jason Tatum is that you can throw at Giannis they have you know Shemi Ojale they throw Marcus Smart on him um, and if you are able to kind of like make Gian- like if you can keep Giannis away from the rim and just force him to take 10 footers, which is a shot that, you know, he's gotten a little better at, but is still not, I mean, he's not like Kawhi Leonard in that area, which he needs to be, in my opinion, more important than developing a three point shot. Um, Like, yeah, they have guys who can hit pull up threes. Kemba's one of the better um, high volume pull up three point shooters in the league. Uh, Jalen Brown has improved in that area. Jason Tatum can basically get any look off he wants from anywhere on the floor. Uh, and he's improved. So, like, I don't think that the Celtics are as deep by any means as uh, as the Bucks. And you know, I think they're they're vulnerable in those minutes when you know the, those Kyle Korver, DiVincenzo lineups are on the floor. Those all bench units. Um, but we'll see what happens if these two teams play. And uh, you know, the Celtics are positioned to always have two all-star caliber players on the floor and we'll see if bud you know it does not if bud staggers his lineups and changes his rotation a little bit to match up with that because it's just it's a it's a nightmare to always have either Jalen or tatum or gordon or kemba on the floor and size is going to be an issue and rebounding is going to be an issue for them 
at least on the defensive glass. Uh, but offensively, they're just so difficult to guard with the, the, the size and the strength that they have on the wings. Yeah, and it's interesting because in a playoff series, sometimes a guy like Grant Williams, say, can really, you can give bigger guys a lot of trouble. Like, I remember watching the first game of the season that the Raptors and the Celtics played, and Grant Williams was the primary on Marcus All. Him and Robert Williams, when they were on the floor, they were sharing that assignment. And Grant Williams really dominated Marcus All, despite being, what, 6'7? I'm not sure how big Grant Williams is, but man, he can really, he's strong. He can, you can steal some minutes on a big man with him. And yeah, the the Celtics there, they can get creative, but we'll see. Um, in, in one of your pieces, you posed an idea for a Gordon Dinwiddie trade, Aaron Gordon, that is. And this will mix to the, the seven and eight seeds in the East, the Nets mm-hmm. and the Magic. What framework were you thinking of with that trade? Um, I mean, I don't have the salaries right in front of me. Basically, like why the deal made sense to me is just because like, like, look, the Nets are just in this weird position where like they have Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert both coming off the bench. So it's like those are your that's your second and your third best player. And Spencer Dinwiddie was playing like an all-star before Kyrie Irving came back. So I don't know if a K looking forward, I don't know if a KD, Karis, Spencer, Kyrie, Forsome is going to be on the court at the end of a playoff game. And so Spencer, when he is a free agent next summer, like you he's gonna be really expensive. And like if you're the Nets and you also have to pay Joe Harris, one would assume, and you also have to pay Jared Allen, one would assume, and maybe even Torian Prince. Like, there's it's almost so much, so many money, so much money to go around. And Spencer Dinwiddie, his skill set is diminished returns on a team that has Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving taking like I don't know, thirty-five shots, forty shots a game. So. I figured like you, you would have to move him eventually. And Gordon is just like, he's the type of defender that is just, you know, on paper, really useful in a playoff series. The thing about him is I don't know if he would accept the offensive role they have for him. Like his touches would just die. And, you know, he wouldn't really be asked to ever dribble the basketball, which he really he likes the to freelance. Do. Yeah. And it's, it's his downfall in my opinion. Um, totally and so if he was in there he would have to make a lot of sacrifices and i don't know if he's in the in the time of his career where that's something he would accept so that's an issue and that would be something that the nets front office would have to ponder before they would make a deal like that but just you know looking at it uh financially looking at it on the court is as a complementary piece to KD and to Kyrie, that's just why that makes sense to me. And then if you look at it from Orlando's side of things, Spencer Dinwiddie is extremely good. Uh, he is a capable ball handler who can be, who can run an offense that is above average. And uh, that's something that the Orlando Magic have not had for like ten years. So Markel Fultz aside, and I, I'm a I'm a fan of everything Markel has been doing. He still cannot shoot, and uh, I think that those two could function in a backcourt that you know has much lower expectations than 
what Spencer will be asked to do uh, with the Brooklyn Nets going forward. Yeah, when I think of that trade, obviously seeing Aaron Gordon up close in that playoff series last year, Gordon is impressive defensively and can definitely get to places defensively that not that many players are capable of. And that makes him so intriguing, especially since he can slide back and hit threes every once in a while. And you can run some really intriguing pick and roll with him as ball handler or as a screener. You can run a lot of like pitch plays, dribble handoffs and stuff with him, especially with players as talented as Kyrie or KD, Karis Levert, depending on what they do with them. That, that's a really interesting trade for both teams. And Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, brings some assurances and some guaranteed competence to the head of the, the Orlando offense that, like you said, Orlando has been really, they just haven't had it for forever. It's been, it's been a really long time. But yeah, I think that's who. Who do you feel better? The they're twenty two and twenty seven, the Nets and the Magic are twenty two and twenty eight. Who do you think gets the eighth and the seventh seed in, at the end of the year? Hmm. I'm really interested just to see, uh, you know, Orlando's direction before the trade deadline. Like just talking to some people around the league, uh, there's not the feeling that they will sell. There's not the feeling that they will look towards making a, a move with foresight, which means they will probably keep Evan Fournier and re-sign him to <laughs> uh, a contract that will just keep them on the same track that they're on now, uh, which is yeah, a little do you depressing. Like, do you like Fournier? Yeah, I do, but like... <laughs> not at the money that they're probably going to pay him and not in this context where like the Orlando magic have all these wonderful pieces that are just like begging for like a grade a offensive engine to, to carry them on that. end. like you have Isaac, you have Gordon, you have maybe, you know, maybe someday Mo Bamba is something as a defender. I don't know. Um, you have Terrence Ross, like a prototypical, just, you know, a, a three and D guy who can sprint off a screen. Um, so they need like that offensive piece who can just create and go uh, in a playoff series. And they, they don't have it. 48 is not that guy. And if you're about to pay him like he's that guy, then you're just setting yourself up for trouble. But I mean, he's had a tremendous season shooting the ball. It's a contract year for him. So like that's this is the exact same thing that happened with Ross last year and they gave him money and the same thing that happened with uh, Vucevic last year and they gave him money. So it's like it's just kind of like a depressing situation over there. And I love Isaac a lot. And the more I watch Bamba, like I go back and forth on whether or not I think he'll be good. Um, he needs to obviously get a lot stronger. We'll see what that happens. Um, I think that the Nets just have more fundamental talent. They obviously have the best player in Kyrie who there's just like moments, even we've seen since he's returned from his injury where he just does things that nobody else alive has like ever done uh, with a basketball. I was at the uh, Bulls Nets game last Friday when he scored like 54 points or whatever it was on like 12 shots. <laughs> he's just like, he's just a total freak who can take over um, score at all three levels. So I would I would bank on that, but just how they're constructed, it's just a weird vibe in Brooklyn with everyone just kind of waiting for next season when KD returns and is healthy. Yeah, well, that's Kyrie Irving. It's insane to see a guy 
the whole time he'll drop dribble to his left, snatch it back, spin it around. He'll be spinning, but he'll notice that the defense is hedging. He'll split the screen right after a spin, all while being aware of the second level of defense, which he is now attacking. Euro stepping around, finishing with English, you know, six feet above the rim. It's there's sometimes he's able to bring crazy stuff out of his bag, but he's such a headache that NBA desktop when they were talking about him comparing himself to Martin Luther King with I mean, Micah Adams and uh, <laughs> Jason Concepcion was really funny. But uh, <laughs> those two teams, though, Magic and the Nets, I don't think they give any of the, I guess it would be the top six teams, much truck in the playoffs. I think all the teams should be able to handle them, which brings us to the last thing I want to talk about with you is the race for the second seed. And I am staunchly of the opinion that the Raptors are probably going to end up there. Are you of the mind that any team will take the Raptors off the second seed before the the year is out? I mean, possibly. I mean, I think Boston's only one game back in the last column. Miami's one game back in the last column. Um, So anything could happen. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Toronto was like fourth, I think, behind those teams. So, like, yeah, it's, it's jumbled up up there. Uh, and I could see if Boston has is able to string together uh, some good health, uh, them finishing down the stretch really strong. And uh, again, with all these teams, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline and uh, whether or not uh, any of them make a significant upgrade or just, you know, if Boston adds a five that they think they need or even a stretch four that they think they need or if Miami adds uh, another ball handler. I, I, like it's just uh so but to your point like toronto just kind of feels like a machine and they're so intelligent and they play with this like they first of all they play extremely hard not that the other teams don't the miami heat and boston celtics play hard but i don't know if there's any team that plays as hard as the toronto raptors and you combine that with their intelligence and their length and i mean this is a team where a lot of guys on it just won a championship and they feel disrespected and they feel uber confident at the same time. So yeah, it would not surprise me if Toronto rolled to the second seed. Uh, It would also not surprise me if the Celtics ended up there or even the Miami heat. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The reason why is the Raptors missing over 130. This is my view anyway, missing over 130 games combined. A lot of them from starters Everybody's been out. Um, Pascal Siakam in extended stretch. Gasol, Lowry, Ibaka. Everybody, basically, but still doing really well. They beat the under 500 teams. That's what really makes me think they'll probably roll to the second seed is they just don't lose the games that they're not supposed to. And they still, they're they're not the best against the, the above 500, but that seems to be maybe turning around. They've been pretty good. This home-and-home against Indiana that starts tomorrow, I think, will be pretty telling about how the rest of the season finishes out, just on how they're able to do against top 500 teams. But Miami, obviously, very good. Boston, very good. We've, We've talked quite a bit about how good Boston is on this podcast. But before I let you go, I the back end of the Eastern Conference, the Bradley Beal of it all, something else, is, is there something you really like about the back end of the Eastern Conference that we haven't been able to talk about so far? 
Um, hmm. You know, I really liked Chris Dunn before he got. <laughs> he got uh, <laughs> that's super random. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of depressing things down here. Uh, just going through it, like the Detroit Pistons, everything I'm hearing, they're they're expressing. Uh, uh, they want to sell. There's not a lot of teams out there that really want to sell this year, and that's kind of something I just wrote about today about why I think it's going to be a quiet deadline. Um, a lot more buyers than sellers. Like the Pistons want to sell, and they have some interesting pieces. They have Luke Kennard, who they're not really pumped about paying an extension to, which is why he's on the trade block. Derek Rose is on the trade block. Andre Drummond's on the trade block. So that's just like an interesting team to look at going forward. And, you know, Reggie Jackson recently came back and he looks actually okay, not terrible. Um, I love Trey Young. And I love, I know a lot of people don't like Trey Young, which uh, that's kind of the growing narrative. Um, I don't really understand why. I think he, yeah, he's not a good defender <laughs> by any stretch, but there's just not a lot of people that I've ever seen average nearly 30 and 10 uh, this late into a season and just be as consistently excellent on the offensive end. Um, and as visionary and as I don't think he's a selfish offensive player. That's also something that's been thrown around quite a bit. I think uh, his t- he has one of the worst supporting casts in the league. And mm-hmm. that includes John Collins when he came back. John's been great, but like did not have John Collins for the first 25 games or whatever it was. As he served his suspension, uh, I just think he makes teammates better. I think he's one of the better pick-and-roll ball handlers in the league. As unbelievable as Damian Lillard has been of late, like I think there's a parallel with the seasons that those two have had. Um, so I wish Trey Young got a little bit more respect, and obviously he's starting in the All-Star game, and that's kind of, I think, spurred some of the vitriol, uh, especially among some of... The, I think jealous players around the league. Some people uh, who listen to this podcast probably have a bit of vitriol for Trey Young as well, as far as the Kyle Lowry should have started campaign. I think that a lot of the <laughs> there's there's you wouldn't believe on Raptors Twitter, which I I, I do not uh, I don't get into the controversy, and I I have no problem with Trey Young starting at all. But this definitely Raptors Twitter was they felt a certain type of way about Trey starting. Yeah, um, I think a lot of fan bases feel that way, particularly everyone who likes Bradley Beal, um, people who I think there's like that small contingent of Zach Levine supporters, and there's just a lot of, I, I just don't, I'm with you, I, I don't really get it. Um, but like elsewhere, I mean, there's a lot of depressing situations, the Hornets are depressing, the Knicks are depressing, the Cavs are depressing, Um the Wizards are depressing. The Bulls are depressing. <laughs> you want to hear uh, something there's... really depressing? Sure. Darius Garland shoots less than 50% at the rim. That's tough. Tough to swallow. That's interesting. I actually... Uh, I haven't looked at the numbers in a bit, but his floater is just like chef's kiss. I love that floater. Um, obviously, if you're not you know, getting to the rim and you're relying on that floater, that's not a recipe for success. Um, and I think Colin Sexton is the only person who was not selected to the Rising Stars game that actually has a gripe also. Like, 
a, a the the Matisse Thibault thing was ridiculous. Svi um, Mikhailov got in, so tough tough look there too. Like Svi, he he can shoot it, but I don't know. Over Colin Sexton is a tough one for sure. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of uh, American-born players are pumped about the uh, international versus United States setting because of uh, situations like that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean the Eastern Conference. It's I think it's really the top six is. Uh, really beefy and it'll be awesome. I think the the playoffs are going to be really awesome this year. Um even with star power like Kawhi Leonard not no longer around. I like how Jimmy Butler goes from one contender to uh to basically prop up not a contender in my opinion, but a very good team down in Miami that will make the playoffs and make a lot of noise. And then you have just the growth that we've seen in uh in Indiana with uh with Sabonis, who I'm really happy he made the all-star team. Usually uh, a player like that kind of gets overlooked and there's a a grace year where kind of the people who watch the NBA are like, he's an all-star, but the coaches are a year behind. So it was really nice to see him make it. Uh, And then it's just going to be awesome to see like what happens at the trade deadline again. Like, I don't think it's going to be an active one and I don't think there's going to be any moves that are significant, but like, you know, if the Raptors trade OG Ananobi and Serge Ibaka for Drew Holiday or something crazy like that, like it's it's just gonna throw everything into an even more chaotic environment. So I'm I'm really pumped to see how it all all goes down. Bankroll thick like that neck on Sabonis, to quote Danny Brown. But uh, Michael, I'll let you get out of here. But before before you do, feel free to plug Twitter, podcasts, etc., whatever you want to, man. Uh, sure. Thanks, Sam. Uh, I guess everyone listening, if you could follow me on Twitter at Michael V. Pina, that would be wonderful. I write for SB Nation. I host the Winning Plays podcast, and I'm a co-host of the Open Floor podcast, uh, Sports Illustrated's NBA podcast with Ben Golliver. So subscribe to all those. And yeah, this was fun. I, I can't wait to come on again and uh, be you know, corrected by my takes now, as I as I hope you burned all of the, uh, the our our season preview audio, where I'm just talking about how Al Horford and Joel Embiid are the next David Robinson, Tim Duncan combination. I th- like that. That I hope that that is just disintegrated into dust. Is that yeah? Is that what you've done? <laughs> yeah, that's you and I. We agree on so much regarding basketball. It was maybe a little bit disagreement on Fultz and Rondé Hollis Jefferson before the season, but you and I predicting things together is might as well be mutually assured destruction. It's bad news for both of us because <laughs> we're not going to fight each other on anything really. We're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. That sounds right to me. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm pumped for the rest of the season. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Well, listener, um, I'd like to thank you for listening. Michael, thank you very much for coming on once again. One of my favorite guests to have. And listener, uh, addressing you again, but thank you very much once again. A second thank you to Michael, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Everyone needs more vacation, right? 
The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.